Hey, welcome. My name is Glenn Lundy. Super excited to be launching our new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Can you believe it? That's right. The Breakfast with Champions podcast has finally arrived. This is your opportunity to get motivation, education, and inspiration every single day. And ultimately, your opportunity to get a seat at the table, to be a fly on the wall, to listen in to some conversations between some of the most amazing superhumans from around the planet. We're talking about people that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. We've got celebrity interviews with people like Tiffany Haddish and Grant Cardone, Lauren Rittiger. We've got specialists in areas like Capital Ventures, right? Or wealth building, wealth management, real estate, all kinds of incredible conversations. And what's amazing about the Breakfast with Champions podcast is you're going to be able to tune in, listen in. They won't even know you're there, right? It's just like you're, you're, you're listening in on all these incredible secrets of some of the most successful humans from all around the world. You know, when we launched Breakfast with Champions, we had no idea of the power that it was gonna have. We had no idea of the collaborations it would create. We had no idea that we'd be able to connect humans from England and Australia and Saigon and America, of course, all together in one room having powerful conversations that elevate everyone in the experience. Listen, if you like these episodes of Breakfast with Champions, do me a huge favor and let us know. We would greatly appreciate it. We pour into this. You're going to get five to six hours of content every single day, Monday through Friday, five days a week. You can keep coming back. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it. Drop your comments, share your thoughts and your reviews. It mean the world to us if you would do that. And in exchange, we promise you that we will always create a space, a safe space where you can come. You're not going to get politics here. It's not going to happen. You'll never see any type of division in here. It's actually exactly the opposite. We have a bunch of different people with different belief systems, different upbringing, different backgrounds. We've got people from all different ethnicities all coming together. But the one thing that we share is everyone in this room shares the same heart. And it is a heart to elevate you, to encourage you, to inspire you, and to help you become the absolute best version of yourself that you can possibly be. So if you would, do us a favor, write those reviews, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. We're going to be here, and we hope that you will be too. Enjoy Breakfast with Champions. You'll see there in the notes that you can skip forward. You can move back. If you need to pause it for a minute, you'll now have that opportunity to do so. We do record these daily on Clubhouse. We have a Breakfast with Champions Club there, or you can follow me, Glenn Lundy, if you'd like to see those rooms, if that's an app that you enjoy. You can always come in and tune in live, or of course, just sit back and enjoy right here on the podcast and anywhere your podcast can be found. It is such an honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I know that there are a trillion places you could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions, and that means the world to me, and I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Thanks so much. I'm going to give it a little bit of context, but first, I'll, I'll give a little bit of an introduction to 
why I do what I do and how I do it. And then I'll lead into why this is probably going to be the most special segment for me. And, you know, normally on Fridays I go live, right? I go on YouTube, I share a live stream, I bring you in, I show you exactly how I do what I do so that you can do it in your world and create a life of abundance and maybe just draw in something in yourself or that little fire that's burning to, to throw some jet fuel on it and maybe just turn that into, you know, a roaring inferno and, and create abundance in your life. The reason that I do it is probably because in my past, I was one of the most broken human beings any of you could imagine and don't really feel like I deserve to be here and feel sometimes that, you know, God can take a guy like me and put me in a position where I have abundance in my life. The best way that I could leave any type of legacy is by passing that along to other people for no gain of my own, right? Even if, you know, everything that happened in my life happened for the reason for me to be up here today talking to you or me sharing something on the live stream to allow you to take care of your family or create a business and help one other person that that might be the entire reason why he put me on this earth and he could take it away tomorrow and i would still be happy knowing that i, I helped that one person now the reason i say that is i was very confused for a very very long time in terms of what actually mattered in life and in past segments i've shared many tips i've gotten from many mentors and you know, I've been guilty of a few things where you know, I, I'll name drop and I'll be like, well, Ryan Surhan taught me this or Scott McGilvery taught me this. And I'm more so just using those names to anchor that, you know, there are people that also were like you that weren't those big names at one point in time. And they found a way to get there. And, you know, here are the hacks that they used to get there and you can use it in your own life. That's awesome. But the one mentor I never, ever mentioned was the one that had the most impact in my entire life and continues to have the most impact in my entire life. And I find it fascinating that you said what you said, Jan, when you started off your segment about how, you know, there was a synergy in terms of your segment landing on Good Friday, because I've been off for the last two weeks. I was on vacation. I unplugged. I actually unplugged, went up north with my family, and I had you know, Ramon and David covered my segments for the last two weeks and coming back on Good Friday was a bit of a struggle for me because of all the holidays that we have, this is like the saddest and the happiest one for me. And the fact that it's called Good Friday is something that I, I really think about every time it comes. Because if you read the story, it's, it's not the most pleasant story and I was reading it to my daughter last night and really having an in-depth conversation with her so that the outward appearance of Good Friday and what happens to Jesus on Good Friday doesn't give her nightmares. Because if you read the story and you actually put yourself in that position, it should give you nightmares. As a human being, understanding what happened to Jesus on that day it's ubiquitous because we read it over and over and over and over and it just becomes a part of our culture. And, you know, you hear it every year, but if you really think about it, it's, it's terrifying, right? It's, it's scary. It's painful, but it's also the most beautiful and inspirational story because of what happens through it. So 
when I was thinking about my segment today, I'm like, I can't really come on and do a live stream and be like, let me show you how to use YouTube or let me show you how to Minesweep or build an SOP. I've got lots of that coming, right? The next couple of weeks, I've really thought about how can I give Breakfast with Champions my all, right? I love my Friday morning segments. I, I do exclusive content for this group. I don't leave the videos up on YouTube. And I've got some stuff coming in the next couple of weeks that I think is going to be a lot of fun for everybody. But for today, I want to continue down the path that Jan started and really dig in a little bit more and talk about my favorite mentor, Jesus. And when I say that word, you know, a lot of people may be checking out and that's okay. It's not that I'm here to convert all of you and say, hey, you need to believe what I believe, right? I, I think the world's done a pretty good job at creating a narrative and heaviness around that word, Jesus and Christianity. And I, I want to caution people to not put narratives on other people when you hear them mention certain words, because I can say all kinds of other words that should be triggering and, and bring forth certain emotions, but don't. Yet when I say the name Jesus, it, it stops everybody, right? You can be in the most diverse group of people from all walks of life, and you say that name, and there's, there's a weight to it that is undeniable. And if you look at the history of the world, that name has had more impact on this globe than any other name out there. If you actually look at the history of scripture and actual books and translations, you're going to see one argument from the world that, you know, there's so many different versions and translations of the Bible that there's inconsistencies between interpretations and scriptures and everything else. There's going to be, right? Because there's 8 billion people on the planet. And you're going to have 8 billion interpretations of what scripture means to different people and how those words were translated through history of time. And you're going to have arguments and you're going to have human beings trying to control the narrative because that's what we like to do as human beings, right? We, we hear something and we really do want to take control of it, make assumptions about that person, that name, that thought, that concept, usually to serve our own needs. Because we have a view of the world that is our own. And a lot of times we have human desires and ambitions. And we want to use stories and names and people to get us where we want to go for our own ambitions, because we're human, right? We're all human in our own rights. Now, the reason I wanted to pause and say that was, let's just step back a second and look at the actual story. And let's go through some of the stages that led to Good Friday and see how they apply to our actual world today. Because that's what I'm going to be meditating on today. When I'm looking at you know lessons that my different mentors taught me, I really do try and implement the lessons that Jesus taught me into my work. And it's not always easy. So you know, I'm going to look at some comparisons in between things that have happened and decisions that I've made, decisions I'll continue to make, and, and how Jesus really does give us perspective on things and how we can learn some lessons from Good Friday and maybe contemplate on it today. I'm also going to continue the conversation. I'd love to hear some feedback from people in terms of Good Friday and what it means to them. So I will be calling on some people later on. So get your mics ready um, and feel free to, to jump in and give any thoughts if you have any because again it's not about me it's about the collective so when i think about my business and i think about my mentor what, what impact has he had in 
where I'm at today. I can tell you the number one founding principle of everything that we do is do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. That is the one scripture that sits by my side in every decision that I make. And whenever I'm talking to a potential partner or I'm sharing a collective group or collaboration or I'm wondering if you know, a partnership makes sense or I'm making a decision for a client on a file. Somebody's buying a large multifamily building and you know, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers of it and it's a, a big file and a big paycheck. Ultimately, I remember that was one of the first large multifamily buildings I ever did. I sat there with my wife and we got into the due diligence and I thought about the guy buying it and knew his family, knew his kids and knew what their plan was long term. And the kids had no interest in the buildings and the buy and hold didn't make sense for Bob. And I said to her, I said, you know, does this actually serve Bob? Right. I said, we'll get a transaction done. It'll be a great record setting price and everything as well, too. But on the buy side, like he's going to use it and dispose of this asset. His kids aren't going to take it over. Like this doesn't serve his needs. What do we do? She said, kill the deal. Like, okay. So we killed the deal. And, you know, that makes me think of what Jan said earlier. Sometimes the ending of something that the human beings would deem to be a failure was the beginning of one of the best relationships I've ever had in my life. Because Bob realized in that there was more than a transaction there, right? We, we make money in transactions, but we become wealthy through the depths of our relationships. And the relationship that I developed with Bob after that was founded on trust, but not because I'm special, because that principle was in place and allowed me to have a little bit more perspective than I would have had as a human being. So that, that was one lesson that I definitely learned from Jesus early on. You know, when I think about Good Friday, the one thing that really kind of gets to me is in the span of a week, you have Jesus who rode into Jerusalem, who had people cheering for him. Everybody was hyped. He was there to save them from the Romans, right? If you put yourself back in that time, it makes sense. If you look at scripture and history and the Bible, they were waiting for a savior, right? Because, I mean, you know, the Romans are running your city and you feel like you're being oppressed. You want a savior, as a human being, when you think of a savior, you're thinking of the rock. You're like, so this guy's going to come into my city. He's going to be Jackzilla. He's going to take over. He's going to, you know, destroy these leaders, tear them down. And we're going to be all right. Right. Like you think as a human being, a conqueror is what you're going to get when you're thinking of a leader or a victor. Yeah. I think about how he entered Jerusalem, right? Not, not on a horse, not as a king. He sent his disciples to find a donkey, right? One of the lowliest, lowliest animals on the planet to bring him into Jerusalem. That was his entry. So how do we enter spaces, right? When I enter a networking group or if I went to 10X, right? If for some reason the U.S. decided that I could come into the country and I had been to the 10X conference in Florida, how pompous can we be as human beings sometimes thinking that we have to show up in a certain light to be accepted by people and how are as people, do we accept people when they come in? Do we make an assumption that they need to be on a horse, that they have to be wearing all the armor? Do they have to be driving the right car? Do they have to be wearing the right clothes? And 
you know, it, it becomes second nature sometimes that we do look for those things, right? We look for those signs of success and those signs of wealth. We look for the watches. We look for the clothes. We look for the shoes. And I, I want to pause on that for a second because there's nothing wrong with those outward images of success from the standpoint where if they don't define you and they're a point of enjoyment of the craftsmanship or there's a genuine love for wearing nice clothes, right? I look at Renee, like I see the creativity. I see the joy. Like to me, she's like a carpenter, right? She's like Jesus was when she's putting together her outfits because there's a genuine joy behind it versus sometimes I'll see people where you can tell they're doing it because if they get the right clothes or they get the right watch or they get the right car, they think, well, then I'm going to be accepted into the cool kids group and that's going to open all the doors. That's going to solve everything, but it never really does. You end up having this empty hole in your heart that never gets filled because the second you get to that one place, you realize it's endless. There's always another step, right? There's always an real estate's the worst industry in the world for this, where you get to a level of production and you think, well, when I sell 10 million a year, then I'm going to be okay. Well, then you get to, you got to get to 20, then you got to get to 50, then you got to get to a hundred, then you get a half a billion, then you get to a billion. Like it never ends. And the funniest thing about my industry is you never really break free from that rat race because the industry makes you feel like that's, that's the game, right? Where it's not. The game is becoming a person that gets respect when they walk into a room because of the weight of their character. And I think that's where, when I think about Jesus entering Jerusalem, he had everybody waving and laying palms in front of him and you know having that tone of excitement, but it didn't change his character or his mission, right? And I really do think about how Jesus knew from the jump, from day one, what he was there to do. And I think we can all tell through his actions that every step he took on his journey, he was a man on a mission for God, right? He knew what the last day was going to look like. And there was an air of levity that he had walking through his journey that really gave him a sense that he was different. Right, Because as human beings, like I said, we all expect things to happen a certain way and we like to control things. But didn't he come in a different way to save the world than we ever would have thought was possible? It, it took me my entire life, and it's probably going to take me my entire life to really understand the depths of what that means. But I think as I'm explaining it to my daughter, and he's, even as I'm working through this segment, it's understanding that releasing that control of trying to control the narrative or trying to think that we know better or we understand why it was structured the way that it was that gives you the freedom to just sit in it and really get a sense of why it happened and how it could impact your life the next thing he did after he walked in was he walked into the temple this is a big one for me. Um, you know, I've given a little bit of context to my history. I grew up Catholic in Montreal, altar boy, um, good 
good family, hardworking parents. My dad got laid off when I was 13 um, by a company called DuPont and born and bred. Go ahead, Jan. Did you have something you want to add? No, it must be a glitch. Okay. No, it must be a glitch. No, that's okay. A little bit of context. Yeah, so my dad worked for DuPont. He was in sales and got laid off, moved his entire family to Montreal, young family, like, didn't have a whole lot. His, his dad was a bus mechanic, and my mom's dad was a auto mechanic that fixed everybody's cars in the neighborhood, but didn't charge anybody anything. She had seven brothers; they didn't really have a whole lot to. And you know, I can imagine now being in my dad's shoes, being like, "Can't imagine getting laid off, just moving your family to a new city." And what did he do? He actually took out a loan, and he bought the inventory, bought the client list, started a company from scratch, and then basically built that company. What I thought was interesting was, you know, as he grew the company, he really showed me. Hey listeners, if you enjoy listening to Breakfast with Champions, we can bet you care about your daily routine. Do you want to know the secret to the perfect routine? It's the perfect morning. Glenn has written a free ebook called The Morning Five, Five Simple Steps to an Extraordinary Morning. If you can transform your morning, you can transform your life. Head on over to themorning5.com to learn more about the five ways you can change the way you start your day. He was in an industry where there's a lot of government payouts and all kinds of things happen behind closed doors. And he, he never got sucked into the dynamics of that industry and accepted the backroom deals because he always told me if you build a foundation on a business that you don't sell your soul for, you'll never be for sale and no one will ever own you. And it's going to take you probably a lot longer, but in the end, you'll be able to put your head on your pillow at night and the business that you build will have a much stronger foundation than you can ever imagine. And that lesson stuck with me my entire life. In my industry, again, people know that a lot of listing agents, when they sell your house, if you go direct that listing agent and they realize they can double end the deal, they'll do whatever to make that deal happen, right? They will bend over backwards. And you know, I would caution people, if a listing agent is willing to throw their seller under the bus, you probably want to think twice about ever working with that person because guess what? They're going to do the same thing to you. And something I used to have in my bio was not for sale because that stuck with me, right? I'm not for sale. There's no amount of money that you can give me that is going to allow me to compromise that founding principle of do nothing out of selfish ambition or make conceit rather than humility value others above myself. Because you take all my money and trappings away, what's my character, right? Who, who am I regardless of what the crowds are saying? The reason I tell that story is our faith has become pageantry to a certain degree, right? I grew up Catholic, grew up in Montreal. I fell off hard. I struggled with addiction for a very long time. I've told that story before. Almost died three times. Lived a fast life. Was not a good person. Um, you know, was reborn. God wrapped his arms around me. Here I am today. But, you know, the one thing I struggle with with my faith right now sometimes is when I get into the group settings and we're meant to be in group settings and we're meant to be a family of faith, right? We need each other hundred percent. But sometimes when I see the pageantry of what our faith can be, I overthink it. And I'm like, well, okay, cool. Light machines, smoke machines, music. Like I can make a lot of comparisons to concerts and events and I can start breaking down the systemization of Christianity and 
how they'll go in and take a group of 300, 500, 10,000, 20,000 people and, and use social cues and almost growth hacking to grow faith. And I can understand how everybody's the hero of their own journey to a certain degree. We can say, well, we're doing it for the cause, right? We're doing it because we want to get more believers. And this is just how you, you have to communicate with people today. But at the end of the day, when Jesus entered the temple and he found people falsely selling goods, he said, this is the house of God and you've turned it into a den of thieves. And I go back to what I said earlier and I'm like, you know, if we really look at the character of Jesus and we look at our lives, what I want people to ask themselves is, are we convincing ourselves that the way we're living our life is for a noble purpose, but in reality, the way that we're treating other people and the things that we're doing in our life is for our own selfish ambition and gain. Because I would argue that there's probably a lot of situations where even I did it innocuously, not thinking about it and creating a reason why I think what I'm doing was for the greater good, when in reality, what I was doing was for the selfish ambition or growth of myself as a human being and a person. And I don't want people to have any negative feelings toward this. There's, there's no good and there's no bad in it. There just is, right? And I think self-awareness is the big piece where Jan really brought that out earlier, indicating how the end is not a bad thing. Like every ending I have has been one of the, the best new beginnings of my life. Lolita, did you have something you wanted to add to that? I thought I saw it on the mic as well. You know, that that scene of him walking into the temple was one of the most powerful pieces, I think, in the entire Bible for me, too, where you have this guy who comes in as a victor who walks right into the house of his father and the place where, you know, it, it's supposed to be honoring him in a place of worship and a place of blessing, realizes what the world has done to that place. Right. And he just overturns the table and people, you know, like to pacify Jesus and make him to be, you know, warm and cuddly. And you see one of the most passionate outbursts from him in the best way possible to give perspective and, and overturn the table and the rules that the world has put in place. Because if we've learned anything in the last three years is those rules can be overturned at any point in time. And we all need to be on our P's and Q's to make sure that we're watching. The next step was the Last Supper, right? So after the Den of Thieves, when you go to the next stage in the Easter story, you think about the Last Supper and what that meant. And that Jesus sat with his disciples in the upper room, had his last meal with them, declared bread was his body and wine was his blood. And then he also told them that one of them would deny him three times and one of them would betray him with a kiss. So I, I think about, imagine, imagine knowing that and sitting down with people, breaking bread with them, knowing betrayal was coming down the path and knowing that that had to happen in order for the ultimate victory to happen for Jesus and still being okay, just sitting there and not having the human reaction of, of getting angry at those people or how could you do this to me or, or this, that, or the other, right? I, I think about the parallels to life and business, right? And how many times in my past where, you know, relationships went one way or another, you know, how easily as a human being, I could fault other people for the decisions that they made when 
they were the heroes of their own story and they probably remember the sequences of events very differently than I do. Right. So if you're holding on to a past grudge or a past relationship, I would encourage you to step back and truly give forgiveness because the weight of holding on to those grudges becomes weightless if you actually let it go. But that weight will never, ever leave you until you let it go. Right. I think that's a great lesson from Jesus that he had his mission set forth in his head. And even though he's sitting there knowing that he'd be denied and betrayed, that he was still okay to break bread with these people and impart those lessons to them and just say, hey, like you're you, I'm me. We're here for the reasons that we're here for and not let it define him. Probably the biggest struggle I've had in my life is worrying about other people's opinions of me. Right. So I think that's a lesson that I kind of hold dear in my heart. One segment um, that I'll do in the future with you all. I, I almost did it today, but I really wanted to focus on the, the Good Friday and the Easter story was taking you through Israel. So I had the pleasure of doing a almost month trip um, walking where Jesus walked. One of my good friends, Harvey Katz and uh, Paul Teske, been to Israel over 40 times and took me on a tour like I've never had. And I put together a little vlog and photo tour, so I'll take you guys through it one day, um, walk you through kind of what I walked through. But I'm looking at a photo right now of the one place that, two places actually that really, really felt like nowhere else on the planet. And the first place was the Sea of Galilee. I can tell you that I was on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and had experience like I've never had in my life. I'll tell you about that one day. Um, the second one was the Garden of Gethsemane. Sorry, the Garden of, <coughs> sorry, of Gethsemane. I apologize. Olive trees, um, you know, the place that Jesus went to pray right before he went to the cross and the place that Judas kissed him. And the place that Jesus, you know, sat there and asked his father, why are you doing this to me? So for, for all of our thoughts and narratives in terms of who Jesus was and that he was God and he was man, he still turned to God and he's like, the humanness in him turned around and said, you know, why are you doing this? And he knew the answer. And I think sometimes we are in the same position, right, where we feel like, well, I can't keep going at the pace that I'm going, or why am I doing this, right? And we know the answer if, if we pause and we sit and we reflect, but we rarely pause, we rarely sit down, and we rarely reflect. So I use this as a lesson to get into prayer sometimes. And when the world is completely out of control or situations are volatile, I will go to a quiet place and just just pray. And like I said, the, the segment isn't me standing up on a podium saying, hey, have you heard the good news? And, and trying to walk you through, you know, why I am where I am. But I can tell you that these lessons, they, they impart a sense of peace to me that I can't get to on my own, right? And the Garden of Gethsemane is definitely, definitely a big piece of that. I'm not a pastor, I'm not a preacher. There's people much smarter than me when it comes to theology, but I can tell you the power of the Garden of Gethsemane is something very, very special. 
And something that that lesson to, to pause and reflect and slow down is very, very helpful to me. Um, the lesson about Judas kissing him and him being arrested by the Roman guards. Um, yeah, that I mean, that lesson for everybody in terms of what Judas did had to happen, right? So, you know, that's part of the story and it was going to happen. But at the same time, it's like, man, you think about what Judas did and the money that he took and thinking back and what a human thing that was, right? To, to accept the money, to betray Jesus, chose a side because he thought, okay, well, this is the way that this is going to go. So I want to be on, on the winning team, um, knowing that these guys were going to kill and crucify Jesus. And you wonder what, what he thought about after everything was over. So then Jesus gets brought to Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate washes his hands of the matter, which like a true politician, it seems like, you know, deference of authority, he, Pontius Pilate, I can't imagine him spending his entire life to get in the position that he gets into and the same people that welcome Jesus into Jerusalem, you know, the week before now have him on trial and are just begging, bloodthirsty, asking for him to be crucified, proclaiming to be king of the Jews because he wasn't the savior or the victor that they wanted him to be, right? Because he didn't fulfill exactly what they thought he needed to be or he didn't listen to the rules or he didn't bow down to the Pharisees and, and the, the leaders of the times and, and act the way they want to act. Well, now he, he's on trial in front of Pontius Pilate. I think of the lesson of Pontius Pilate of not, not standing in any type of conviction. I think of leadership and the type of leadership that I want. I will not get political. I'm in Canada, so don't worry. I'm not, not going to talk about political parties and, and whatnot, but I'm going to talk about leadership from a family perspective, from a business perspective, from a political perspective, but not any specific party. I'm going to ask people to ask themselves, what type of leader are you? Are you looking for deference of authority? Are you looking to wash your hands and not make a decision because you don't want to be on the wrong side of history? Or would you rather stand firm in your convictions or for what is right, regardless of what that means for how the crowds are going to look at you? Because I know I've made decisions in the past that do not make me the most popular with some crowds of people because I'm not for sale and I, I won't be complicit said this in a room the other day like my industry is changing very very quickly you know there's a lot of backroom deals that happen in real estate and a lot of a lot of times where agents say and do things that are completely unethical and i won't have any of it and the agents that are in my market know that and know that i'm not for sale and i'm sure i don't get invited to certain things because of it but i can tell you that i'm gonna outgrow them and i can tell you at the end of the day when i put my head on my pillow and i i sleep like a baby because I'm not for sale, right? So I definitely think the lesson about Pontius Pilate and him sitting there wide-eyed, um, washing his hands of it and putting the decision back to the people and letting the blood wash off his hands over the heads of the people who made the decision is a lesson that I never want in my life. And I always want to think about the perspective of being a leader and standing firm in my convictions. Then I think of Jesus carrying his cross down to Calvary um, down to Via Dolorosa and stopping many, many times. And I, I think of some people trying to help him um, and then the soldiers stopping those people 
and the soldiers sitting there wanting Jesus to suffer because he claimed to be the king of the Jews. Right? And I think of what that would have been like. Carrying a cross like that when you're so tired. And, you know, you, you know what's coming, yet he still did it. He still carried his cross. And I think that that's a great lesson for all of us today, maybe as parents or maybe as friends or maybe as people in our community to think about the eyeballs that are on us, right? And no matter what part or stage of life you're at, you have influence, right? And maybe your influence is more important today than it will be when you're on stage in front of a million people. We talk about the human ambitions and we talked earlier about, you know, all the different name dropping and this, that, and the other. And, you know, when I get to 10,000 followers on Instagram, then I'll be there. When I get to a million followers on YouTube, then I'll be there. When I get to speak on stages, then I'll be there. I'm like, hmm. What if you being in the community you have now and talking to that lady at the grocery store that just lost her job or her house or whatever, and you being that ray of sunshine in that person's life saves their life and puts them in a place that the butterfly effect of that saves a child's life and then that child goes on to change the world. What if, right? Like you don't know. Just like the, the people didn't know who Jesus was when he came or they expected him to be one thing or another. The human emotion to control everything around us is such a short-sighted thing, right? And I think about carrying my cross every day. And am I carrying it effectively? And I'm probably not, right? There's times where I will fail and I'll fall and I'll stumble. But you know, I'm looking for those eyes and those people that are willing to give me a helping hand when I need it, but also push through and carry that cross when I need to, when it's not easy, when it's as hard as it's going to be. Then I think about the cross. Um, I'm not going to go too in-depth into this portion because it's a tough one for me. It's going to be a tough one um, all day, but knowing what comes after the cross is the most fascinating piece of this entire story, right? I think about the crown of thorns. I think about him being crucified. I think about the thieves on his side. I think of everybody, everybody watching. That's probably the most disturbing part about the cross is crowds of people gathering to watch what was happening with somebody being crucified. I guess we do it today in a different format, right? We look at Will Smith and we watch him being crucified in the media, right? And I'm not going to get into what he did and, and my opinion of it and everything else too. But you could replace his name with a thousand other names. And man, do we like watching people being crucified today, right? We were excited about people failing as human beings, which we shouldn't be. One reason I love Brexit with champions is the positivity in this room, right? And the lessons, like these are positive lessons we're sharing, right? The fact that the perspective that Jesus is giving us, carrying the cross and being on the cross and, and asking ourselves, like, are we the crowd or are we, Jesus, right? Are are we trying to be more like Jesus or are we trying to be more like the crowd? Like, what do we do when somebody's being crucified? Do we grab our popcorn and get excited about it and get hyped? Because that's not a good feeling, right? When we talked earlier about holding on to things and holding on to grudges, somebody cuts you off in traffic and you flip them a bird and you start getting to an argument. Your day's 
pretty much ruined, right? You're thinking about that all day. You're doing the George Costanza thing, running through in your head. Well, I should have said this, and I could have said this. If I had this opportunity again, I'd do this, 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 this. Think about the energy deployment against that negative energy versus I cut somebody off and realize I was wrong right away, or maybe I wasn't, right? Maybe they're an absolute psychopath and it is what it is. And you get to the next stoplight, they roll down their window about to escalate the situation. And it's Monica. And I see she looks super fit and she could probably beat me up and be like, I'm so sorry, Monica. I apologize. I wasn't paying attention. Hope you have a great day, right? Automatically diffuses the situation. Let the balloons go. My day continues on. I don't even think about it. Right. That's what I was talking about earlier when I said, you know, not carrying grudges and letting things go. The weightlessness of forgiveness is incredible. And I think of the cross the same way. I think of the thousands of people who sat there in the pageantry of him being crucified. And I think of, of the people today looking at other people's failures and, and getting excited about it. I think of the weight of the negativity that that has to have on your life. And I don't want it. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't have time for it. I got time for positivity. I got time to get excited about hearing Jan's story and seeing my girl, Amanda Dahl, you know, flying and jet setting in New York and, and growing in her business and seeing her win. I get excited about Kim Walsh Phillips and her speaking at her events and doing what she does and, you know, trying to connect her with people that I think can help her. I see Glenn just popped in the room and, and seeing Glenn working through it. I think of the winds and, and the positivity of this space. And I'm like, that's what I want, right? It's not the world. The world is the complete opposite, right? The, the world is the negativity. The world is the pageantry. The world is just the bloodlust of screaming for the person on the cross. But are you the crow? Are you the person in the crowd? Or are you trying to be like the guy on the cross? I can tell you, I'm trying to be like the guy on the cross. I think of the last two steps. I think of the Roman guard that, you know, stabbed Jesus in the side. And when he asked for what I gave him a sponge dipped in vinegar and made him more thirsty and was cruel. I'm like, yeah, the, the world is a cruel place, right? And this should be encouraging, right? This should make you realize that when you feel attrition, we live in a fallen world. Like it is promised. It's going to be hard. But pushing through it is going to get you to the other side. What Jan shared, her segment lining up with this segment that I'm doing right now made me so happy because the hardest ends will give you the most satisfying beginnings. And I think of the parallel in my business where I don't really remember the easy wins, right? The ones where everything went perfect, killed it, you know, made a bunch of money was what it was. I remember the deals that blew up in my face and I saved them and they went sideways and they were messy and they were bloody and they were tiring. And I stayed up late at night to figure it out and then had to pull in every favor I could to pull a rabbit out of the hat and, you know, help people in through a situation and the ones I felt good about, just like camping, right? You don't remember a roller coaster that you were on for 15 seconds. That was super exhilarating and maybe a whole lot of fun for 15 seconds. But if I go camping with Jeff or Tom and, you know, we go fishing for a weekend and it's rainy and it's miserable and the tent falls apart. And I mean, I'll be telling that story for my whole life. So this hardest ends will lead to the best beginnings. And then I think of Good Friday, right? Because it is Good Friday. And that's why I wanted to focus on this for my segment. And I think of the end of Good Friday, right? Where this guy turned black and Jesus died. And... The veil was torn 
instantly people knew this was the son of God, right? Even even the soldier standing there turned to his friend and was like, yep, that, that was the son of God. And I think about the culmination of all of this pageantry that we're talking about and everybody trying to control every single situation and saying, well, I know who Jesus is going to be. I know who the Savior is going to be. I know what he's going to look like. I know what he should be doing. And this is what he's going to say. And if he doesn't say it, well, then we're going to crucify him. And this is what we're going to do. Look, he wasn't the person we thought he were. Let's put him up on the cross. And yep, then the crowd agrees and we're all on the same page and everything too. And then turns out they were wrong. Right. And what if we're wrong? What if in all of our humanness and trying to control every situation around us, we look back at our life one day and think, did I handle that situation right? You know, did I truly live to be the, the hero of my own movie and the person that I would have wanted me to be when those situations crept up? Or was I the crowd, right? Was I convincing myself that what I was doing was for the greater good when it was 100% based out of selfish ambition. So I want to leave this segment with what I started it with. And that's the one quote that I think you can all just go back to at any point in your life, regardless of if you're helping somebody move or you're starting a business or you're in a situation where you have a very, very, very difficult decision to make. And you can ask yourself to go back to that quote. That says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Because I think that the number one lesson that I learned through Jesus, through the Good Friday Easter story, through the entire Bible, through my entire life was being of service is the highest level of love and achievement you could possibly have. For all the trappings, and Kim Walsh Phillips was about to speak, I'm sure she could talk to this, of all the trappings of success that some of the largest entrepreneurs can have, I bet you the ones that she respects the absolute most are the ones that are truly of service and not really focused on the money. But it's fascinating because the wealth and success that comes when people are truly focused on serving others is something like I've never seen. So I'm not sure if Kim is there. I'd love her thought on that. And then I'd love to open it up to the crowd for a couple more minutes before her segment. Yeah, I'm here. I think this is huge. I just, um, I love this so much and how you broke down the story. Justin, as always, it was so powerful. Um, and I just was at an event and I'm not going to say who it was that I heard speak, um, but it was somebody who went through a public um, snafu, we'll say, in the past couple years, said something in the public that the public did not take well, and I don't think the public should have taken it well. I think the things that were said were insensitive and um, wrong, and there should have been a quick apology, and there wasn't. And um, this lost this person endorsement deals and promotional deals, and it was huge. It was like, it was a huge thing. And I thought, as well as all the people that I knew were that were at this event, thought when this person took the stage, I mean, this was a small, intimate group. It was a mastermind. There was 150 of us there. It wasn't big. We thought that there would be like an honest and open discussion about what happened, some admission of I made a mistake and here's how I corrected it. 
and here's how I care about my audience, and there wasn't. The entire talk was conversations about how this person's life is so awesome and how they know their market and how they're making a lot of money because they're doing the things they want the way they want to do it. And it was like, I, I used to be a super fan of this person. I sent people to read the books and buy the products and all the things. And I just sat there like in, in utter disbelief that there could be such a demise that you could separate yourself so much from your market. And I think that the, everyone that I knew that was there felt the exact same way that there was less respect, less connection, less support. And I think that like, it's okay when we make mistakes, there was only one perfect person that ever lived on this earth. And we weren't, we're not that person. Like God gets it. But what we have to do is own up to it. And in that public moment, like I just, that image of him walking with the cross, choosing to um, bear the weight of our mistakes like that is so huge but like when we're in those public moments of maybe despair or um, trouble or tribulation we have a choice we can either be authentic and honest about what's going on or we can try to hide it and it literally never works if you try to hide it because either they're thinking about it anyway and they're never going to hear anything else you have to say or they're going to now not have an authentic connection with you because you're not being real. And the more we can be real about upfront and honest about the mistakes that we make, the more we can connect with our audience. I'd love to hear Glenn too though. Can we have that? And then I know Jeff's on flashing. I'm totally cool with the fact that we're going over time. I don't care at all. <laughs> Glenn, do you have thoughts on that? Oh, he's not there. Okay, Jeff. And then I'm passing back to you to Justin and finish out the conversation. Jeff, you were flashing. What do you want to say? Thank you so much. First, I want to say thank you to Yen for sharing her inspirational story, Justin for his narrative. And as I listen to uh, both, I glean some lessons for business as well as for life. As Justin gave his narrative of Ben Yahweh Yeshua, Jesus the Christ, what I saw in that that resonated is he took 30 years of preparation for three years of application. Think about that for a moment. He put the time in. And then from what many consider to be a lowly animal, the donkey. Well, in antiquity, the donkey was an animal of peace and being a species of horse, while many people would call him dumb, he actually was intelligent and did not go or do anything that he thought would be of danger. But this particular donkey had purpose. This donkey was born to do something that no one else in the world had done. This donkey served Jesus. This donkey's purpose was to let Jesus, ride on it. Think about that. No one else could take the weight of the master, but the donkey carried the weight of Jesus as he made his way into Jerusalem. Whose weight are we willing to carry? And if a donkey could serve Jesus, hmm, what about me? Then he went on and he talked about 
the Last Supper, the Seder. And at that Seder, if you don't know, I see passion and compassion and forgiveness. Knowing that Judas was going to betray him, he offered him bread and he offered him wine, which was a symbol and a sign of forgiveness and restoration. Who do we need to restore? Who do we need to forgive on today? And finally, I don't know if you can see it. I don't know if you can feel it or not. But on the cross, the promise of hope in between two thieves who were receiving the consequences of their actions, this remarkable divine and human after had been railed on, stopped dying long enough to let everyone there know that there is a promise of hope when he said to the thief, today you shall be with me in paradise. Which lets you, ma'am, lets you, sir, know that we don't have to wait because paradise now is in us if we let him in. Justin, thank you so very much for your narrative on this great Friday. And I really wanted to go to the hope of the resurrection, but I know that's coming on Sunday, so I won't spoil it for anyone. We'll stop it there. But there it was. If you can have the paradigm shift of the preparation, the purpose from an unsuspected animal, the passion and compassion of forgiveness, even before the complete betrayal was completed. And then that promise of hope that we can have in Yahweh Yeshua, Jesus the Christ, in us and live through us. Thank you, Justin, for that narrative. This is Pastor Jeff, and I hope your paradigm has been shifted. Thank you so much for your words, Jeff and, and Kim, just to wrap up the segment. I mean, what you shared was so powerful. I think the opportunity for somebody to own a situation like that, I mean, the amount of respect they would have gotten if they just were transparent about it. It just, it builds a level of trust, right? And takes things to a new level. So your biggest failure can be your biggest success. And Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.